John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Boy, I tell you what, it's going to be so strange for the next uh, four months not to wake up every day and say, okay, what's up on the Genevian Clowney front? Because for a five-month labor, it's finally over. He's not coming back here to Seattle. He's going to go to the T- Tennessee Titans. And you kind of got that feel. It's like, okay, well, they're in the hunt. They're in the hunt. They may be able to get him, but they didn't get him. And so the story is finally over. And so cuts are in. More cuts are going to be coming as the rosters shape up as the day progresses. <clears throat> Lots of things to go, so let's waste no time. Let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. Well, the strange Jadavion Clowney free agency saga is finally over. After months, the Tennessee Titans waited this guy out. They knew they were one pass rusher away and he was the target all along, so they get him for one year close to $15 million with incentives. But Clowney's price tag entering free agency was supposed to be bigger than that. That's why a lot of teams were lurking the last few weeks. Seattle, New Orleans, even Baltimore, they were hoping to get him for around that $12 million range the longer he waited this out. But Tennessee closed the deal because they feel good about him coming into Mike Vrabel's defense. Clowney's familiar with it. He should be able to get his COVID testing, his physical done, and jump right into the mix week one. Well, the question is going to be, is he going to be able to jump into the mix in week one? Because first off, uh, you know, he he took an extra day or two to get the thing done because he wanted to try to use the New Orleans Saints to get a little better offer from the Tennessee Titans. And we were able, uh, he was able to do that. But of course, what that required is that he didn't make the decision until Sunday morning where he was probably going to make it on Friday. Where that's a little bit of a problem is now he has to go through COVID testing. So he got there to Sunday to Tennessee and Nashville. And they hope to find a way that he passes the physical and that and see if he can get a practice or two in before the start of the regular season. But if not, because he's not even allowed in the building until he passes the COVID test. So that's going to be at the very earliest uh, Tuesday and maybe even as late as Wednesday, which will put him behind on practice. But he didn't get what he wanted. He got $12 million. Then he got $3 million of incentives. And, you know, I would imagine that Seattle would be willing to do that. But as time went on, you kind of knew that uh, he had Tennessee more on his mind than anything else. He did use the Saints, and the Saints did try to work out some kind of a deal with Cleveland on a sign-and-trade. But sign-and-trades are not happening in the National Football League. The big thing for Clowney is able to get back with Mike Vrabel, who was his defensive coordinator. And, of course, they've had Pro Bowl seasons and all that stuff when they were down in Houston. So now... Makes certainly the Titans a great contender because you know you watched last year that uh, you know Pres- uh, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith ended up going to Green Bay and they had two pass rushers that got 25 and a half sacks. Can they do the same with Clowney, who's not a sack guy but a good player, and Vic Beasley, who signed for 9.5 million? So the soggy uh, the this. Clowney deal is finally done. Uh, Diana Rossini from ESPN, who broke the story, is going to join us at 11 to give you all the details of the Clowney situation. Number two. We're always trying to put together a championship club. I think John's had a fantastic offseason from the draft on through uh, with his guys. They've done a great job of making this a really competitive roster again with some big, bold moves and, and some great you know, foresight and vision and all that. Uh, we're, we're really excited about this club. It's been a, it's, it's, it's been a really good competitive group, and, and uh, they get a lot of credit for that, man. They, they put this thing together. 
Yeah, they, so they put it together, and so the roster came down. And, you know, really, I thought there was going to be a lot of intrigue, and there wasn't as much intrigue in this cutdown as I thought there would be. And what you can see is that, uh, you know, they were able to get the deal done and, uh, you know, get 14 of the guys back who were on the 680-man roster because nobody was claimed, and so Shaquem Griffin was able to come back. They filled so far 14 of the roster, spo- roster spots. I know they're looking at uh, a 350-pound defensive tackle from the Eagles, who should be the 15th, and then we'll see if they're going to put Paul Richardson or if they're going to make a cut or two, see if there's something on the roster that's out there. So more moves are going to be made, but again, uh, was you know pretty down the line. I mean, you can see, and of course we were saying it last week, that the roster was pretty well set, and that turned out to be the case. I mean, right now they're there with four tight ends. That's a little bit big right now. We'll see if Luke Wilson's going to stay. Uh, if not, he might come back to the practice squad. You know, Jacob Hollister still there. We, we don't know if he's changed his $3.29 million salary. You notice that David Moore took a pay cut from 2.133, and so don't know his deal yet. But it turned out to be uh, an interesting day. They did pick up a linebacker, uh, and uh, DeAndre Walker from the uh, Tennessee Titans, who is at Georgia, a pretty good pass rusher. So he might be able to get into the mix and you know maybe be a guy that will work at the Leo position as one of the main guys. Not the main guys, but certainly toward the back of the lineup. But nevertheless, the deal is done as far as the cuts, but more things are going to be coming here as the day progresses. Number three. Here's the pitch to Seager. Swung on, well hit ball. Deep into the gap in right center field. Going and going and goodbye baseball. There's number 1,255th hit in the career of Kyle Seager, matching Jay Buhner fourth all-time in the history of the ball club. And he does it with a home run. Holy smokes. So, I mean, the Mariners get a sweep of the Rangers. Well, they're trying to get a sweep. They have one more game today that's going to be going and see if they can, you know, go 7-0 and against them uh, so far, which is amazing, uh, particularly the games here at home. But they got the Kyle Seeger and Kyle Lewis. The two Kyles have just been doing fantastic. Uh, home run for Lewis and, of course, Seeger. They both had home runs. Justin Dunn went six innings, and the starting pitching continues to be good. And don't want to even say this because it's almost unbelievable. The Mariners at 18-22 and 22 are three games behind the Yankees for maybe that, that last uh, wild card spot in the baseball playoffs. Uh, all three of Justin Dunn's wins have come against Texas, so you know he likes to go against them. So right now they go for the sweep and try to go for their sixth straight win. Marco Gonzalez will be on the mound. The game time will be at 110 pregame right after the show. Number four. I thought it was a win-win for all the things that Houston got wrong in terms of their front office this offseason. Losing the best player in DeAndre Hopkins, overpaying Laramie Tunsil, absorbing David Johnson's contract. They should get credit for doing a really good contract with two years to go for Deshaun Watson and locking up a great player, a great person, a great leader. Those players never, ever leave your locker room. From Watson's standpoint, why I like the deal is it's discernibly shorter than Patrick Mahomes. So barring something unforeseen, guys, Watson will get another bite of the apple. So I really like that from his standpoint. Oh, Deshaun Watson gets a little about $39 million. He now becomes the second highest paid quarterback in the league. And Russell Wilson is now number three. And Mike Tannenbaum from ESPN was right about the idea that uh, the four-year deal can work because he can get more money. And, of course, uh, that puts the 
uh, Texans in a real tough cap situation, but then you saw what Mahomes did in Kansas City. He worked it out so that they were able to get two other deals done. But Deshaun Watson gets a four-year deal around $39 million, and now uh, see how far he can take them. So you look at that AFC South, boy, it's really improved from the standpoint. you got Phillip Rivers and DeForest Buckner there. you got Clowney and Vic Beasley rushing the quarterback, and now you got Houston and Deshaun Watson getting one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in football. The Chiefs are going to open up against the Texans coming up on Thursday night. Number five. I control my own destiny, and I'm definitely not going to take this opportunity for granted. It's, I feel like he, I got a fresh, new, clean slate, and that's how every year should feel. And after winning, a, a, after coming out of a competition like that, it's got that sort of feel to it that it's a new year we all have a clean slate and we're not looking back on the past i'm not looking over my shoulder i'm just going to take advantage of the opportunity uh ahead and it feels good it's exciting and i know we're all eager to uh get ready for this year and uh and, and play this weekend so Mitch Trubisky beats out Nick Foles for the starting job. Now it's going to be a matter how long he can hold on to the job, but he is going to be the starting quarterback for week one. Uh, we'll see, but I know that Nick Foles uh, took it well as far as all that and, of course, trying to catch up uh, with his old coach, Matt Nagy, who he worked with before. Uh, so uh, Trubisky, again, probably the quarterback right now under more pressure than just about anybody else. Ryan Fitzpatrick was named the starting quarterback, and Tua Tagovailoa was named the backup quarterback with Miami. Josh Rosen ended up getting cut, and it looks like he's going to take a practice squad position with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Josh Rosen, of course, uh, not doing well at all. I mean, he couldn't even beat out Tua, who's coming off hip surgery and is a rookie. Alex Smith did make the 53-man roster which is a great story. Now, again, it's going to be Dwayne Haskins starting. You know, he had that devastating uh, leg injury with about 18 surgeries, and he almost lost the leg, but he was able to get the job. And so fascinating times as far as quarterback moves in the National Football League. Listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review and talk more about Genevieve and Clowney. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, of course, now the Clowney situation is under further review and just kind of got the feeling from maybe the very beginning that as much as he talked about the idea of liking it here, which I think he did, but he wasn't going to come back. Uh, he was just going to try to get the situation because, again, with the fact that so many times that Seattle kept on upping the offer, you know, starting at about 13 and taking it to as much as 16, you know, he just didn't want to be in the position to come back here at a discounted price in his mind. And so because of that, uh, he waits it out. He also had the idea that he didn't want to go to training camp anywhere, uh, risking injury, you know, putting his body up for the virus or any of those things. And so now that what has to be determined is like, I know at the beginning of the offer, season and maybe th- even now we're back to the uh, okay uh, is it clowny or bust if they don't have clowny which now that it's official the team will not have clowny this year is this a bust for this team as far as their defense and I don't think that's the case so now the question is okay where is this team without Jadevian clowny Brock Hewitt was on today talking with uh, Danny and Gallant our beloved number 90 from last season has moved elsewhere I think the Seahawks are missing out Brock and losing them 
He's probably going to have a career high of 10 sacks, right? I mean, this is probably going to be the year in variable system, pretty good front, going to feast on some AFC competition. He's probably going to get 10 sacks this year, is going to be oh. my guess. And Really? That'll happen now? It's never happened before. Yeah, I think he's been Played at nine a couple before. different times. I think I think he's in an ideal system. I think he's in a weaker conference. And I, yeah, I think he's hungry after a disappointing market and offseason to realize that, oh, it isn't about disruption. I, I guess that some of that perception does matter, and I'm going to just have to do all I can to, to get sacks and nothing else because sacks get you uh, sacks get you paid. Uh, I think I sent you guys a note, and Paul, I think yes. I know where you land on this um, because of your just personal affinity for the man that you've covered every year of your professional career. So I'm going to take you and your bias out of it, and your answer is probably going to be definitive anyway. Danny? Uh, I'll ask you just point blank. Would you rather have Jadavian Clowney or Bruce Irvin, Benson Mayoa, and three million extra bucks? Uh, I would take Jadavian Clowney. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Survey says... Yeah, I, I, you know, I just kind of sort through it, Danny, and man, it seems like we talked about this over the last six months, if not on every other Blue 42, pretty darn close to it, is you kind of look at it now and, and you read the facts, I guess both of you guys, do you just think that, you know, that as Brady Henderson reported, the Seahawks made an offer around $15 million early? Gave it to him and said, this is going to just go down from here and we'll never come back. And, and that market just got away and, and ended up you know, signing in Tennessee. And ultimately, I think they even got up close to $16 million, which, of course, that's still when he was finally lowering offer to 17 and he just didn't budge he wouldn't counter he just certainly took the position it's like well if i have to take a pay cut or get close to what i was making last year with me sacrificing my body with the core injury i just don't want to do it and i think also he just didn't want to go to training camp i think that's pretty evident and so now it's a matter of okay uh, it's and i think uh, brock raises a great point it's like okay so now you get uh, jamal adams you get quentin dunbar uh, you get uh, bruce Irvin. They still have the chance to maybe see if there's something else out there. Benson Mayoa. So they've added a bunch of sacks, but they don't have that great guy to double on the defensive line. And so that could be an issue, but they are more athletic on the defensive line. They have more speed on the offensive line. And so I don't know, Curtis, what, what's your thoughts? It's like, you know, we all sensed the feeling was that he wasn't coming back. He didn't come back. And now it's like, is it panic time or not? I don't think it's panic time. I don't think it's painted time either. It just would have been so nice to have Jadevian Clowney on that defensive line, especially with the additions of Benson Mayo and Bruce Irvin. I think if you had added Clowney to that D-line, I think it takes it from where everybody's kind of ranking it near the bottom of the NFL to at least, I would say at least in lowest, probably about 17th or so. Uh, it would have been incredible to have Jadevian Clowney on the 2020 Seahawks roster, but just based off of how it never seemed like he wanted to hear what the Seahawks had to say to him after about May or so when he got that $15 million offer and then just turned it down, uh, it just seemed like it was never going to be a possibility. As much as Seahawks fans hoped and hoped and hoped against hope for Jadevian Clowney, it just was not going to be a possibility. But I look at the Seahawks defense right now, John, 
And even without Clowney, I still think it is better than where it was a year ago, and that is largely due to the additions of Jamal Adams and, to a lesser extent, Quentin Dunbar. I think the secondary last year was the biggest problem the Seahawks had, uh, at least before the Quentin, uh, the Quandre Diggs acquisition, I should say. And now you add Dunbar, who Pro Football Focus had as the second-best uh, cornerback in the league last year, and Jamal Adams, who is an all-pro safety I mean, that is going to give a defense a huge lift, even if you don't get that pass rush going in the way in which it was when Clowney was here. Yeah, and I think, again, it's like you can't have everything. I mean, you try to get the best you can, and uh, they tried, and uh, now we have to see. But remember, I mean, they paid $5.5 million for Bruce Irvin, and he's going to be strong side linebacker and rush the quarterback. And he had, what, eight, eight and a half sacks last year. You know, they still have Benson Mayoa, who had 20 career sacks. I mean, they can get sacks out of Bobby Wagner. They can get sacks out of Jamal Adams. And, you know, they still need their young guys. I mean, the key now for this season is what happens with Rasheen Green and also L.J. Collier. I know that Alton Robinson's making a late push to get some good playing time, too, and he looks good. So, again, I think they are much more athletic on the defensive line, and that could help. But now what they don't have is that one guy to be a star, other than maybe what you could say is Jaron Reed, who is in great shape. Uh, they still need some more depth at defensive tackle. I know that they picked up, I think, Anthony Rush. They're going to sign him to the practice squad. He's 350 pounds, played in Philadelphia. But overall, I still think this is still a defense. And it was funny because I was looking, I think Pro Football Focus was looking at the defense, and I think, am I wrong in this? I think they actually had uh, taken them up to number 12. So they apparently it's like the good. Yeah, which is not bad. Again, particularly when you're down in the low 20s like they were last year and they only had 28 sacks. If they can be a top 12 defense and give up 20 or less points a game, now you're talking about 11 or 12 win team. And I think Dave Wyman has pointed out a couple times along the way that he just thinks that 28 sack number from a year ago is going to be so easy to eclipse just with a, a, a different defensive line. It's so small compared to what you know we've seen from Pete Carroll and John Schneider over the years. He just thinks that based off of odds, it will be impossible for the Seahawks to get any lower than that number. Um, and I think we'll see more coverage sacks with how good Seattle's secondary has become. You know, wide receivers not getting open, quarterbacks being forced to hold on to the ball longer. That just gives the defensive line more time to get after the quarterback. Um, I'm not going to put it at like 50 sacks the Seahawks get or anything like that, but you know, mid 30s, maybe the upper 30s, it would certainly be an improvement. And if you're, you know, getting 15 more sacks uh, than what you got last year, you say you go from 28 to maybe you know 39 to 43 ish. That means that's one extra sack per game or so. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, and also, too, remember, the quarterbacks they're playing, too, are going to be more prone to sacks because they've got a lot of young quarterbacks. You know, they've got the Daniel Joneses. You know, they've got the Josh uh, Allens. You know, they got the, uh, you know, so there's more young quarterbacks that they're facing. They're going to be more prone to get those sacks. Yeah, and uh, week one, Matt Ryan, not very mobile either. So he's going to be somebody that uh, if Atlanta's offensive line doesn't come right, then, you know, he could get get sacked a few times cam newton somebody that uh even when he had good offensive lines in carolina was getting sacked a lot just just because of how much he moved outside of the pocket and how uh mobile he he is uh, week two here in seattle i think that could be uh something that seattle takes advantage of and, and you know hopefully they get that production and there were games last year where seattle did get after the quarterback i think in the playoff game against philadelphia they had what seven sacks so mm -hmm. It's not like it was an every-game issue for Seattle. It's just 
the consistency was not there at all. No, it really wasn't. And, of course, that forced them to play more zone and made them a lot softer than they want to be. And so now they're, you know, they've got the speed there. And, again, I just think this is better. It's, again, you know, it'd be great if Clowney would have really top, put him over the top. I mean, again, if you're, you're getting one of the best edge rushers in football – and you put him there, and all of a sudden you say, okay, this team is now significantly better than the San Francisco 49ers. Now just it's a matter, is this team a tick better than the 49ers? And that's still up in the air. And again, there's still moves that can happen, and there's still things that can be done. But stay tuned for that. Hey, you can listen to the show via the 710 Law Group, I mean, on the Dubin Law Group on the 710 Sports app. And also tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we'll go through the final cuts. The clowny situation with Joe Fan from NBC Sports Northwest. John Clayton shows 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And Joe Fan from NBC Sports Northwest joins us. And so now with Jadebi and Clowney going to Tennessee, what are we going to talk about the rest of the football season? It's like we've only spent five months laboring over conversations about Clowney. It's like now that he's out of the picture and in Tennessee, what are we going to talk about? Well, thank goodness real football starts on Thursday, John. So That's we'll true. We actually have some games to talk about. So, if anything, I guess we owe Clowney a thank you to give us something uh, to discuss during the entire offseason. It is crazy, John, just how long the offseason is. We spent so much time hemming and hawing over different storylines and players and teams and all of this. And, uh, and finally, uh, you know, when the season gets going, you're just so grateful to have football back. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, which is, I think, good uh, because, again, it's been it's been crazy. So what were your thoughts on Clowney? It just didn't seem that uh, Clowney, as much as he talked about wanting to come back here, really didn't want to come back here. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. Um, you know, I think there was a dollar figure that the Seahawks could have gotten to, obviously, that, that would have gotten him back earlier in the offseason, um, you know, when they initially offered that $15 million. Um, but when it came down to it, you know, I think they knew they were out of the race. Um, I think Clowney never really considered going back there unless, again, the money was drastically different. So uh, it makes sense, uh, you know, that you know Clowney wanted to be closer to family and reunite with Mike Vrabel. And, um, you know, and I, everyone has an opinion on whether or not, you know, what the Seahawks should have done. But um, it, is, it is kind of, you know, wild to now have the saga finally over. Uh, you know, I do think the Seahawks missed an opportunity, especially if it was just going to be a one-year deal. You know, you can always find salary cap space. And so to play a game of chicken over a couple million dollars when, you know, you're kind of going all in with the Jamal Adams trade and uh, you know, acknowledging this, this window you have with Russell Wilson and his prime, it was, you know, I think the, it's easy to believe, especially if you look at Everson Griffin, $6 million to go to Dallas, um, that they could have done more, uh, especially in regard to the pass rush. Yeah, no doubt. And so um, what do you, where do you think this team is with the defense right now? Well, I think it's really hard to say because they've built this defense from the back to the front, and so the back seven is arguably the best in football. I, mean, I really do think the secondary has legion of boom potential. You know, you look at Jamal Adams, who uh, profiles to be a Hall of Fame caliber player, and potentially uh, a better than, than Cam Chancellor. Quandre Diggs, a fringe pro bowler. Uh, Shaquille Griffin, I think, has Richard Sherman upside. I think he's that talented. Um, and then you look at the combination of Quentin Dunbar, uh, Trey Flowers and Marquise Blair, and you know you could easily say that you know there is uh, the potential again. And this is purely potential, and there is a long way to go to be in the same conversation with those great secondaries and great defenses from the early 2010s with the Seahawks. But 
Um, I do think the potential is there. Granted, when you look at the Legion of Boom, they were at their best when uh, Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett were doing their thing up front. So do the Seahawks have enough? And I think they really just have to have enough to get by. I don't think, you know, as long as the defensive line is a complete liability, same thing with the offensive line, really. Uh, the rest of the roster is built to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, no doubt. And, of course, uh, I think the speed is such a big part of this. The offense should be better. And, uh, you know, now it's a matter of just, you know, sorting out playing time and all that stuff. But I do think that, you know, they have upgraded from the standpoint. Sure, nobody is equal to Clowney as on the defensive line. But I think getting Benson Mayoa, you know, getting Bruce Urban back. uh, And then you got to see progress out of L.J. Collier and uh, Rasheem Green. And Jaron Reed, for that matter. I mean, they gave him big money. They paid him. It wasn't a prove-it deal. I mean, $11.5 million a year for two years is paying him like he was, uh, you know, the 2018 version of himself and will be that player going forward. And so, um, you know, again, I think there are reasons to believe the Seahawks' pass rush will be just fine. But as I wrote yesterday, um, to me, it's, it's the Seahawks are banking on the best-case scenario on a number of fronts that are far from sure things. Yeah, no doubt. I think what does help them out, too, is that they have an easier schedule for quarterbacks this year than they had last year. You know, it may not be up front, you know, when they have to go out and take Matt Ryan and Cam Newton and, you know, get some of those guys. But once they start getting into some of the quarterbacks in the AFC East and the NFC East, that's where I think they can start to catch up. Yeah, they have a a schedule that's, I think, really, really top-heavy. That first half of the year is a a huge challenge. I think it's and once you get through the back-to-back stretch of at home against the Niners and on the road against the Bills, um, it does open up a bit, and you have a chance to go on a run. This has, has things stand right now, right? Obviously, things could change, you know, you know, a week from now. But um, you know, the Seahawks do have a chance to, uh, you know, take advantage of a schedule that lacks top-tier quarterbacks uh, for the most part. Once you get out of the, the, you know, first three games where it's Cam Newton, Dak Prescott, Matt Ryan, um, and uh, I mean, really, again, it, it all comes down to, in my opinion. Can the line be, you know, moderate? Can they be okay? Can they avoid being a liability? Because if so, again, uh, we've talked about it for so long. I mean, there's just so much talent around this, this entire roster. We haven't talked about the skill players. I think Russell Wilson has, you know, his best crop of skill players he's ever had. Um, and so when you look at all these different things, again, there's so much reason for optimism in Seattle. Yeah, no doubt. What uh, any Anything catch your surprise as far as the final cuts? No, I thought it was really chalk. You know, I think Shaquem Griffin, obviously, people were bummed about, but he's back on the practice squad, so good news there. I think, you know, they, they have too much depth at linebacker to need him for depth at Sam, and I just think they view him as too situational a pass rusher to be able to rely on him other than in, you know, very specific instances. And so, um, you know, that one I didn't have on, you know, I had I projected him making the roster, but, you know, I think if you're being honest with yourself, it's not a huge shock that he did get cut. So, um you know, ultimately, I think the one other surprise, uh, you know, they're keeping two or four tight ends. And I didn't expect Luke Wilson to be on the roster, but really good for him. One of the best locker room guys in the history of the Pete Carroll era. Um, one of Pete Carroll's all-time favorites and uh, a guy who, who had a pretty decent camp. And um, I know everyone in the locker room is going to be really pumped to have him sticking around in 2020. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Shaquem, yeah, getting him back, I think, is a, is a real good thing. Now, the uh, you know, and I, I wonder what the next move. What, what's your thoughts on the Paul Richardson one? You know, they gave him a seventy-five thousand dollars signing bonus and uh, you know, a roster bonus too of I think sixty-two five. You know, I mean, do you think he comes back to the practice squad? 
I don't, you know, I think it's, I mean, I guess there's a potential for it, but my guess is the last two spots in the practice squad will go to Lyndon Stevens and, uh, and then, you know, the one player, uh, I can't remember. I think it's it's Anthony Rush, the 350 pound. uh, There you go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The defensive tackle, uh, I was was blanking on the name there. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it was, it was a really bizarre situation to me. What it says is that the Seahawks really didn't diagnose his workout very well because obviously, after his workout, they felt good enough to sign him. And you knew signing him, like he hadn't been a part of camp. He hadn't really been training with the team. And so, you know, he wasn't going to be able to do a ton of practice to begin with. He only ended up practicing one time. And so clearly the Seahawks saw something to where they said collectively, man, we made a mistake and should not have signed this guy. He's not healthy enough. He's not in good enough shape to help us. We're better off keeping John Ursua, David Moore, and Freddie Swain, all guys who we think can help us. And, you know, the two younger guys I just named that have both had really good camps, and there's no guarantee they would have made it through waivers. And so, uh, you know, I think it's good on them for acknowledging the mistake, but, you know, I don't think there's any way to, you know, to slice it other than it being a mistake. Granted, you know, given that you knew going in, he wouldn't be able to practice much before cuts. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, now it's a matter of trying to, you know, get pick up the last pieces. Uh, what other moves do you think this team will make, if any, before they start to uh, get into preparation time for the Falcons? Well, I'm curious to see if they bring back Nick Ballore. You know, they, they cut yeah. him last year and brought him right back immediately. And they cut him again this year, and he's yet to be brought back. And so curious if they're waiting for other things to shake out around the league and potentially bringing him back later today, this afternoon, or tomorrow. But um, it would be interesting if they would decide to go into week one without a fullback. Um, and maybe more indicative, they're going to use more 12 personnel and, and get those tight ends on the field that given, you know, your best four uh, pass-catching targets are Greg Olson, Will Disley, Tyler Lockett, and D.K. Metcalf. And so uh, that's one I'm monitoring. But again, not anything that's going to be of any sort of magnitude that would change how you feel you know, about the team going into week one, just minor things, I would assume. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it was kind of a strange, uh, as we, everything's strange right now with the pandemic, but it's like kind of a strange one because only 17 waiver claims, and normally it's going to be like about 41 if you go through the average each year. And so, you know, everybody pretty much was able to go ahead and if they wanted the players to come back, they had the opportunity to get them back. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of no preseason games. It's the beauty of, you know, being able to put the clamps on what reporters are able to share about who's playing well um, and, and who's not. You know, there's just no tape out on anybody, um, and that's huge. So uh, I think it makes perfect sense. I think it also makes sense that, you know, given that, that times are weird, you have no idea at some point someone's going to test positive for coronavirus, and you're going to need players from your practice squad immediately. You're going to want guys who have already been in your building who you know, who know the scheme, where you're not signing guys off the street and throwing them into the fire, and you know you're going to have the practice squad of really all guys you know, and I think that's going to be across the board for every team. I mean, 15 of the 16 practice squad spots for the Seahawks were guys who were in Seahawks camp, so that does make it a really easy transition. Should you get into emergency type situations where you really need these guys sooner rather than later? The one that surprised me that didn't come back so far was Chris Miller, uh, an undrafted safety. He was a hard-hitting guy. I thought that you know they gave him a decent signing bonus. I thought he was going to be the one that was going to come back. Yeah, I think uh, I mean I think they liked him and he had a good camp, but I think they also look at the secondary and say between Ugo Amadi and Marquise Blair, you've got a lot of depth at safety. Obviously, Lado Hill there as well. Then you've got Ryan Neal in the practice squad, who I thought also had a very good camp, yeah. um, and he plays safety and corner. So I think. You know, it's not for not liking the player. You know, I'm sure they would tell you they really enjoyed what they saw out of him, and maybe down the road he does come back. But 
Um, you know, I think they just feel so comfortable with their depth in the secondary that, you know, they didn't see the need to, to, to use one of those spots on them. Okay, so what do we have on the podcast, and also uh, what do you have coming up on uh, Sports Northwest? Yeah, last week had Joel McHale on, fun conversation, talk about, you know, how him being a, uh, a Seattle native and walking on at University of Washington and his rise to Hollywood and what his thoughts on the 220 Seahawks would be, and then uh, dropping tomorrow we'll have Peter King of NBC Sports Northwest. So good stuff coming. Okay, that'll be good. That's Joe Fan from NBC Sports Northwest. Uh, have a good week and get ready for the season. Hey, thanks so much, John. Look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, sounds good. Be sure to check out the professor's notes on 710sports.com. The professor's notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines and catch up on the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, the cuts are in and everything's now pretty well done now of course there's still going to be a lot of work coming up this week with teams as they try to go ahead and see what other guys that they want to try to get ready for the first week and of course it's going to be a little bit faster because anything that you do is going to take a couple days to get the guy in get him tested see if he is going to get his physical and then be able to pass the physical but those are the challenges that teams have to try to do to try to at least you know get through this uh, crazy crazy period of time uh you know adrian peterson ended up getting cut that was a surprise he ended up going over to the the Detroit Lions, you know, Bo Scarborough, the former Seahawk uh, running back, is he's going to go on injured reserve. Then, of course, you've got Dallas. They had to put Lil Collins and Sean Lee on the injured list. Now, again, uh, you can start to bring these guys back maybe as early as three weeks, so it's not like you know, you're destroying the whole season with any of these guys. But, uh, you know, I didn't really see a lot of surprises in the cuts. I guess the big thing is some of the trends. I mean, as of right now, I only count about 30 32 undrafted players making it. And then when you figure this all started out with, I think, what, 246 players that were undrafted free agents that signed, and all of those guys had signed by May 11th, and to be all the way down to 32, basically one per team, I think that's amazing. And also what we ended up seeing, and I think part of this is because of the fact that uh, you know nobody had any tape on anybody, is that more draft choices were cut or moved so that uh, they could try to get them back on the roster. But I don't know. What what did you think, Curtis? Anything that caught your eye as far as what happened in this final cut? Oh well, the practice squad players. I think that was one of the most eye opening things to me. Jeremy Fowler of ESPN he tweeted this out this morning and uh, really grabbed my attention. Just kind of some, I guess, stats about guys on the practice squad. There are three former top ten picks on practice squads right mm-hmm. now: Josh Rosen, Kevin White, Dion Jordan. Two DBs who once landed deals of twenty five million dollars or more: Aaron Colvin and Jonathan Cyprian. And then quarterbacks with 76 starts, Josh McCown, or $29.5 million in earnings, Mike Glennon. And then a wide receiver with 21 career touchdown receptions, Dante Moncrief. The practice squad right now in 2020, John, looks so much different than it's ever looked in, in the course of the existence of it. Is that something that we can expect to see maybe years down the road is is more proven guys i guess on the practice squad compared to how it's usually just kind of a proving ground for undrafted players and maybe late round picks i don't i mean again this is so just so different because again there was no off season i mean you didn't know what you're getting in the uh and what you have and of course with no preseason games there's no tape to really judge anything and so now you just take the gamble it's like okay let's put these guys out here and then we'll try to get them back and just about everybody 
everybody came back. And that's the thing that's so amazing. I mean, think about the fact that, you know, here's 32 teams in the league and there was only uh, 17 players that ended up getting claimed on waivers. And, you know, most of those guys tended to be guys that were uh, fifth round picks in 2019. You know, so that, that's kind of the weird thing is that uh, you know, everybody was saying, OK, well, maybe we can stash these guys or not. But uh, that was that was one of the weird parts about this whole thing. But I, don't, I think, you know, they made the exception this year because of the virus to have, you know, six veteran slots that's there on the practice squad. And so you can have a 42 year old quarterback like Josh McCown, if you need him, or if you want, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting that Sidney Jones, after being a disappointing pick, what second round pick of the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, he didn't even get claimed. He ended up taking a, uh, a practice squad job. And how about Josh Rosen, you know, former number one quarterback. I mean, he takes a practice squad job. Yeah, just so many surprising guys ending up on the practice squad uh, across the NFL. John, we we talked a little bit about Adrian Peterson going to the Detroit Lions. That's a running back room that has a lot of names. DeAndre Swift, I think he was at a second-round pick this year. Kerryon Johnson, he was a former second-round pick. Adrian Peterson obviously headed to the Hall of Fame. How do you see those carries being sorted out by Matt Patricia? Well, I mean... (laughs) If it was Matt Patricia, he's probably going to screw it up. So it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but fortunately, I guess it's Daryl Bevel. And so uh, I would imagine that, uh, yeah, because DeAndre Swift is a little bit banged up. They're not sure his his availability. But I would imagine they start out once he picks up the offense, you know, with Adrian Peterson and then just kind of vary it around. And at some point you focus it all in because it's a lot to ask for Adrian, as great as he is, a Hall of Fame running back, to come in and immediately, uh, you know, pick up and see where he's going to go. So I thought that, uh, uh, you know that'll that'll take a little bit of time to kind of figure out. Yeah. Also, in the NFL, the Steelers announcing their agreement with Cameron Hayward, the defensive lineman, four years, seventy-one point four million dollars. He's thirty-one years old. John, do you think he plays out the duration of that contract? Uh, probably not. I mean, I would imagine it goes at least two years to get, you know see if they can get the most out of him and where that's going to go. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily think he'll get the full four years. But how about the four-year deal that Deshaun Watson signed? He's he's paying for lunch today. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, he got emotional in the press conference when he, you know, announced that uh, he got it. I mean, really, a very as emotional as he can be. But now he's the second highest paid quarterback with Russell Wilson being third. Yeah, and a well deserved contract too. I mean, he is one of the bright young stars in this league, and you could tell in his press conference just how emotional this was for him and his whole family. Uh, I believe his family grew up uh, in a house that was paid for by work done, former NFL running back. Uh, so he hasn't come from you know a lot of money in his life, and, and now he, he's been able to get that huge contract through so much hard work and uh, just one of the most likable guys in the NFL, too, with how much charity work he does and, and just... Uh, you know he's got one of the great personalities in the game as well, so could not be happier for Deshaun Watson. And uh, you know I think that sets up the Texans franchise for at least you know the next four years because there was a lot of you know wondering you know Bill O'Brien's such a loose cannon yeah. when it comes to trading guys. Well, they've got their most important piece signed for the next four years. Yeah, but of course, I mean the bad part is they're so far over the cap for next year. I don't know how they're going to be able to fix it up. I mean, you know, they pay $22 million for Tunzel, $39 million for Watson. I mean, you know, they have four wide receivers making $44 million combined a year. I mean, it's just a mess, and all they keep on doing is sacrificing their defense. Now, what's going to be interesting to see is that we open up 
on Thursday with them taking on uh, Houston, taking on Kansas City. How would that defense be able to contain the uh, Patrick Mahomes and an offensive machine? It's going to be very difficult. Yeah, it really is, and so that has to be watched. But, uh, again, I think it's interesting that now the two highest-paid quarterbacks in football are facing off against each other to start the season, and both are deserving of the contracts that they received. Agreed. Uh, John, before we go to break, though, some breaking news uh, coming down the line from the Palouse. Bob Robertson, the uh, iconic and beloved voice of Cougar football uh, for 52 seasons. Uh, His his old broadcast partner, Paul Sorensen, uh, passed along the news that he has passed away at the age of 92. Uh, just an iconic person in sports in this state, John. No doubt. I, I go back uh, when we started uh, taking a new station, and uh, Bob Robertson and Kevin Calabro were uh, doing calling all sports. And of course, uh, you know, and Bob, of course, being such a long voice of the Cougars, being there, 92 years old, 52 years. How much? 52 years in the broadcasting business. 52 as yeah. the voice of the Cougs. Yeah, as just the voice of the Cougs, and just a long, great career and a great, great person. And so sad to hear. Hope the family is going to be okay but bob robertson one of the icons in this state and one of the icons in this country uh he is so missed and so uh yes sad to hear that type of news because bob had meant so much we'll spend a lot of time with our daily dose of the Gras talking to dave grosby because we all go back with bob rob and all the different things that he did in this town and he was just so great and so great for the entire state Absolutely. Uh, just his impact on the entire sporting landscape in, in the state of Washington, not just the Cougs, but uh, he called Rainier's games for a while. I know the broadcast booth at Cheney Stadium in Tacoma is named after Bob Robertson. His impact is going to be felt for a long, long, long time. Yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to get the full story on uh, Genevi and Clowney, uh, Dinah Rossini, who would break the story for ESPN join us and give you the full details. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.